a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, I'm Jim Bennett. And I'm Abby Bennett. And welcome back to Dinner Table Politics. You know, Abby, as I was preparing to put this together, I was thinking about the plans you have stated you have for my funeral. Oh, yes. Can you recount those? Do you remember what you had said? Um, My plan has always... I'm not really sure what's going to happen to your body per se. Like, I don't know if you're going to be embalmed or cremated. That's not That's not what I'm really worried about. Right. Um, I would just like there to be um, some white doves that right. are released um, right. that drop little pieces of paper that say um, war is over while John Lennon's Imagine plays in the background. I hate that song so much. That is precisely the reason why I think it would be so fun to have that at your funeral. I I love the Beatles. I think John Lennon was a genius, and I just think Imagine is the dumbest song ever written. But that's not what I wanted to talk about. Actually, the version that I remember is that the doves were going to drop a message that said, fight climate change. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That that one's better. You're right. Well, war is over. I'd be happier with than fight climate change. Because I, I want to talk a little bit about climate change. I was reading an article by Bjorn Lomborg. Awesome name. Your good, your good friend Bjorn. And Bjorn Lomborg is the head of the Copenhagen Consensus Center. And he, is, he wrote a book called The Skeptical Environmentalist. And I think he is the, the person I turn to whenever I am looking for an informed opinion on, on climate change with regard to what we can actually do to solve the problem. What are his credentials? Why do you turn to him? Well, he has a cool name. It sounds very much like a famous tennis player. Uh, I, I'm what? I, <laughs> I was going to say it sounds like Bjork, the singer. Oh, Bjork? You don't you don't you don't remember Bjorn Borg? No. Bjorn Borg was a big Bjork tennis. is way more famous. Oh, he may be way more famous. She. Uh, she may be way more oh famous. Oh my gosh. I'm way out of control. Well, I, I want to back up a little bit. I, when I st- when I say climate change, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Um, global warming. Okay, and what are your feelings about global warming? What do you believe with regard to global? My to feelings. Global- well, what do you believe with regard to global warming? Are, are you worried about it? Do you think we're all doomed? Um, I think that humans are having an adverse impact on the environment. Yeah. Okay. And that we should be doing more to try and combat. Uh, what we're doing to nature. Okay. So do I. Okay. I agree with you. And yet people call me a climate change denier. Uh, and I don't think that's true. I think it's it's scientifically indisputable that carbon dioxide is a gas that traps heat. And the more carbon dioxide you have, obviously it's going to trap more and more heat. And so there's no question that human beings are having an impact as we produce greenhouse gases, although carbon dioxide is not necessarily the most potent greenhouse gas. Water vapor traps more heat than carbon dioxide does. Methane is a more powerful greenhouse gas. It's been said that if we were to 
You are a vegetarian, correct? Uh, I eat fish, so well, okay. pescatarian. You, you are a pescatarian. It is Sorry, the- not not octopus, not not octopuses though, or squid. They're too smart. Oh, okay. I feel too bad eating them. They're, They're o- like octopi- octopuses, octopi. I don't know. They're like as smart as toddlers. They can unscrew jars and get through mazes. Okay. Well, I, I learned all that from Finding Dory when the octopus escapes and goes all over the place. I don't know if that's the best source to get your fish facts from, but whatever oh, works. Whatever works. Okay. Well, I don't eat octopus because I think they're kind of chewy, but that's a whole other issue. And they can fit through any hole. The only hard part on their body is their beak. So as long as they can find a hole that's big enough to fit their beak through, they can fit their entire body. Oh, man. I could just go off on facts about the octopus i love them they're so crazy well uh they can they can get through like a keyhole can't they if, if their, their beak, beak is, will fit if their beak will fit well all right so octopus octopi notwithstanding um i there, there's no question that human beings are having an impact on the planet and so the, the the whenever people start talking about climate change in a political environment it devolves into whether or not you believe in climate change and I think that's the wrong question. One of the reasons why I like Bjorn Lomborg is that he insists that climate change is real, that human beings are causing it, and that it is a problem that we have to address. But, all right, so suppose we were to cut all of our carbon emissions according to the agreement that we made in Paris. If President Trump hadn't pulled us out of the Paris Climate Agreement and all of the nations had kept their word in terms of of the Paris Climate Accords, how much would that lower global temperatures? There's no way of knowing. There's there's no way of knowing. That's people. I don't. That's a dumb question. Well, why is it a dumb question? Because if we're going to spend one to two trillion dollars a year globally to try to fight fight climate change, what are we getting for our money? Well, for one thing, um, I work in a lab currently okay. in. Um, um, and one of the big things that we study is the effects of, um, like pollution, air pollution on lungs and developing lungs and placentas. Uh, we, we study it in mat in mouse models. I was going to say rat and then I was going to say mat, but no, I study them in (laughs) In mat models. We study them in mice and the, um, this is, uh, the research that we're doing is, um, not just about, oh, is it good or bad? Because it's obviously bad. But um, just just um, from our mice models, like pregnant mice, like their babies have lower birth weights when they're exposed to smoke, when they're pregnant. like And regardless of temperature change, it has adverse effects just on human bodies and just health in general. But you're not talking about carbon doing all that. Carbon dioxide doesn't do that to human bodies. You're talking about pollutants. You're talking about things that actually make people sick. Carbon dioxide doesn't make people sick. Absolutely it does. Carbon dioxide is what every plant on the earth breathes in order to survive. We're not plants. No, we're not plants, but uh, plants... Carbon dioxide reacts in our body to form acids. Okay, well, uh, when you start talking about... Those kinds of things. You're, you're, I think you're talking about things that are, are are separate from changing global temperatures. Are you not? I don't know. This is another thing that annoys me with politicians. Sorry, guys, but they I'm they, they, the they just here. they just try. I'm no. It's just that they try and talk about things that 
obviously there's a lot of things that need to be legislated, but they're just not experts on them, you know? Like I think we talked we like touched on this in like our healthcare episode too. Right. Is these people aren't scientists and they're not doctors, you know? Right. Like it's it's easy to say like, oh, the the earth will get hot and that's bad. But that I don't know, that's just is oversimplifying it so much. Oh, you, oh, I would agree with you 100%. I, 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 every time I have a conversation about climate change, what frustrates me is is how much I don't know and how much people I'm talking about don't know, and yet how committed each side is to their point of view based on very limited information. I, I'm not a climate scientist. I don't know, I don't understand the physics of all of this. I think you understand the physics of this a whole lot better than I do. Uh, I've always been under the impression that CO2 is actually good for human beings. I'm wrong? Yeah, it's we breathe it off. Well, we, yeah, we breathe it out. Yeah. But uh, it's not a poison to us. And yeah, it, it, yes, it is. We're, we're, Pure we're, oxygen is a poison to us. Well, okay, sure, sure. But, but we are not... The kinds of sicknesses that you're talking about are sicknesses that come when people are exposed to smoke, which doesn't necessarily contain CO2 so much as it contains other kinds of toxins that are damaging to the human body. Am, yes, no? I guess, yeah. All right, well, I, I, I'm not sure if I can get to the bottom of this. But the question that nobody ever asks when climate legislation is passed is, okay, how much is this going to reduce global temperatures? And that is what I think should be the first question that we ask. It's one thing to do something about climate change. It's another thing to make sure that what we're doing actually is having some kind of a positive effect. If it's not having a positive effect, then we ought not be doing it, particularly if it's having a negative effect in other circumstances. And one of the things that Bjorn Lomborg went over in this article for the New York Post is he talked about the economic circumstances and the economic impact that the Paris Accords would have on developing nations. And developing nations are trying to lift themselves out of poverty, and we're telling them we can't, they can't do that by using fossil fuels because we need to fight climate change. And we get back from our break. I want to talk about just how much the Paris Accords will reduce global temperatures. All right? Okay. Paris Climate Accords are scheduled to cost the United States, if we were to agree to them, which we pulled out, but if we had agreed to them, it would cost us somewhere around $600 billion per year. How would, that, how would it cost us that? What, what are we spending money on? We're spending money on limiting carbon emissions. We're spending money on forcing um, companies and forcing industry to reduce carbon emissions. And the amount of money necessary for compliance would be somewhere around $600 billion. And what do we get for that $600 billion? Mm, being able to sleep at night, knowing that we're trying to keep the world a better place for the polar bears. <laughs> Have you ever seen them? They're so cute. <laughs> they are cute. You're absolutely You're right. You're melting their houses. Okay, well, here's Bjorn Lomborg in the New York Post. He says, the EU's climate policy under the Paris Agreement Agreement. Meanwhile, will realistically cost the bloc. Oh, he's talking about Europe. It's going to cost Europe six hundred billion, not America. So it will realistically cost the bloc about six hundred billion dollars each year for the rest of the century. Yet, at best, 
it delivers a trifling temperature reduction of just 0.09 degrees Fahrenheit by the end of the century. See, when I hear precise like numbers like that, I'm like, where did you get where did you get that? You just pulled that out of your butt. Like 0.09, like say 0.1, friggin' pretentious Bjorn. 0.0, it's it's I guess 0.09 is close. So it's one tenth of one degree, just short of one tenth of one degree. How, how did he get that number? Well, that number is actually when you talk about scientific consensus, which is what a lot of people do when they talk about climate change. Well, the global consensus, 97% of the Scientists believe that climate change is a serious problem. Uh, they're, they're talking about a consensus of people who believe that human beings are having an impact on the climate. The amount of an impact they're having on the climate, whether or not that impact is catastrophic, there's all kinds of different positions on that. But there is a 100% uh, consensus on the kinds of modeling that they have done, and they have determined that the amount of reduction of CO2 would only reduce uh, this comes from the international panel on climate change this is these are the un's own numbers these are not numbers that but the thing is you're right the un essentially pulled those numbers out of the, out of their butt it's impossible to be able to model the climate with any degree of accuracy for instance so let, let's back up a little bit when i was in 5th grade which was before you were born. I don't know if you knew that. Yeah, that's, yes, hopefully. I can remember I was at Chaparral Elementary School, and I can remember being scared out of my mind because we had a science lab where Mrs. Portugal told us that we were all in serious trouble unless we started, we stopped polluting. The world was going to enter into, but boom, another ice age. Uh, are you scared of entering into another ice age? I don't know. The movies were okay. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't love the the ones where they became pirates. Yeah, I don't know. that one was a stretch. I was like, "Come on, guys." That's probably true. And there was another one where they like fell through the ground and there were dinosaurs. Like, you think we're idiots, Ice Age? Yeah. Obviously, that wouldn't happen. Obviously, that I was would... okay with the talking mammoths and Sid the sloth, but Sid the I sloth have a limit. bugged the living crap out of me because he had that stupid lisp and you couldn't understand half of what he said. No. That was part of his appeal. The thing that bugged me was how Manny the Mammoth's family is killed in the first one. And then they never talk about it. And then he gets remarried to the Mammoth voiced by Queen Latifah and has another kid. And he never mentions his dead, slaughtered family. Well, if you were a Mammoth, wouldn't you get married to Queen Latifah if if she were voicing another Mammoth? I don't know. I guess the mammoth pickings are pretty slim. But, like, I would still remember my old Mammoth family. I agree. I probably would, too. But, uh... So backing up, the, the, the history of climate alarmism is such that the, the, um, the narrative has changed significantly in my own lifetime. Leonard Nimoy, who played Spock, also used to narrate a show called In Search Of, where they would go in search of the Loch Ness Monster and in search of Bigfoot and in search of all of these mysteries. And one of the In Search Of's was the In Search Of A New Ice Age. And I can remember watching that as a kid where it was talking about all of the terrible things were going to happen, the globe was going to cool down, and we were all going to die. Now, one of the proposals that was made back then came from Margaret Thatcher's government in the UK. Mm, Maggie. Maggie. And one of the ministers in Maggie Thatcher's government, he suggested that the way we could stave off a new ice age was for us to start burning more fossil fuels so we could put more carbon dioxide in the in the air 
and lo and behold, the globe would get warmer and we'd all be saved. I don't know. It's it, Yeah, it's easy to laugh and be like, ha, 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 we're so stupid. Scientists are dumb. Ha, ha. But the thing is, we are we have technology today that's that's so much more sophisticated. Like, we have on record the fact that, like, 2016 has been, like, the hottest year in, like, 200-some-odd years, you know? And we can see – we measure the glaciers and we see that they're melting. Like, it's – it's easy to be like, ah, humans have no idea. But we're measuring these things. We have empirical data that shows. Right. We do have empirical data that shows a number of things. But we've only been measuring things with any degree of precision for probably the past 50 years. And we have all kinds of data going back to the medieval warming period that demonstrates that the Earth was warmer uh, during the Middle Ages than it is now. What? I've never once heard that. You have never once heard that? No. All right. Well, so I'm going to go back into the history of climate change as we get go forward on this. It's one of the reasons why Greenland is called Greenland. Greenland used to be green. We have record. We You can see that people were farming above the ice lines in Greenland uh, way back when. And now it's... Greenland is not green, and Iceland is, but Iceland is named after ice, and Greenland is named Greenland, so it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Okay, so Wikipedia, I just looked this up. Wikipedia, the best source on Earth, says that um, 2016 was the warmest record, warmest year in the NASA NOAA temperature record, which starts in 1880. 18, NASA starts in 1880? The temperature record. It's right. not NASA didn't start, but that's just what they have. Okay, we'll talk about this more when we get back from our break. The current history of global warming, or the concern about global warming, can be traced back to James Hansen, the chairman of NASA, his Senate testimony in 1988. And James Hansen warned of a, of a climate catastrophe, and he warned of um, a three-degree temperature rise uh, by the end of the 20th century. And he was off by a factor of three. He was, it turned out to be a one-degree temperature rise, and he was off by 300%. Now, you can look at that and say, well, at least he predicted there would be a rise. But the reality is the modeling that we have done about the climate has been off. Uh, all of the climate models failed to predict what they called the pause, which was a 15-year pause between El Nino's from 1998 until – what's 98 plus 15 – Plus t- until 20, 2013. 2013. There you go. When the next El Nino hit, and El Nino ends up warming up the uh, warming up the globe in ways that don't have anything to do with carbon emissions. Uh, but since that El Nino ended, uh, temperatures have dropped back down to the point where there has been essentially a seven-year pause in global warming. None of the models predicted this. Uh, we are at the bottom 5% of the threshold of all of the climate models that have predicted 95% more warming than actually occurred. Now, this doesn't mean that scientists are all stupid and they're all jerks. It means that the climate is a whole lot more complex than any of the models allow for, and we are not yet capable of predicting we're not capable of predicting the weather a month out, let alone predicting what the climate's going to be 100 years from now. We're just not. But when I say things like that, I'm labeled a denier. And I get very frustrated by that label because it's deliberately designed to associate people who are skeptical about climate change alarmism with Holocaust deniers. What? With 
Yeah. I mean, that's why you call him a climate change denier. And, and you- no, denier is a word that means you deny it. It doesn't have to be associated with the Holocaust. Well, it doesn't have to be, but I think it is in that most is people's so, minds. No, that, that's no, why. That's that the way never Hal- popped into my mind once. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm oh glad to hear that. Gosh. Because I think that's what a lot of the alarmists are trying to do. I mean, they're trying to shut people down, trying to not allow them to talk. And, and what's frustrating is, is that, you know, whenever you talk about the idea, okay, we're going to send, spend $600 billion and we're not going to get any kind of, any difference in global temperatures beyond statistical noise. Uh, the thing that frustrates me, I'm go- coming back to Bjorn, Bjorn Lomborg again. He says, when comparing the massive cost with the slight delay in climate damage, each dollar spent delivers just three cents of climate benefits, i.e. lower hurricane damage, fewer heat waves, less agricultural stress. Forcing poor countries to reduce emissions does even more harm because cheap, abundant energy brings prosperity. Example, activists argue Bangladesh should cut coal expansion. That would deliver global climate benefits worth nearly $100 million. But the foregone boost to the Bangladeshi economy would cost about $50 billion. Okay, but I don't understand why we have to, how we can tell Bangladesh what to do. I thought we were talking about what the United States itself is going to do. Well, we are. But the global climate agreements, because if the United States were to cut all of its carbon emissions and, and if, 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 well, backing up a little bit, President Obama proposed 30% cuts in the emissions of coal plants in the United States, of coal-fired power plants in the United States. I said plower pant. Plower pants? Power plants. Coal-fired power plants in the United States cutting their emissions by 30%. Plower pants. They're like the pants that you wear when you plow a field. Yes. Well, if we cut those, I don't think that's going to have any kind of... That that is good. But it's not going to have any climate benefit. Okay, here's the thing. Okay. It's easy to talk about, like, oh, you're going to spend so much money and the earth is still going to be the exact same temperature. But you'll see, like, there are benefits that don't have to do with the temperature of the earth. Okay, tell me some of Like... Like I was talking about earlier, like pollutants in the air have like so many detrimental effects on our bodies. Um, we're just, I don't know. Like you just, I just. Well, the thing about pollutants in the air and the thing that's happened and I think will happen with climate change, but the air quality now is much better than it was when I was a kid because environmental standards that aren't necessarily focused on removing carbon dioxide, but are focused on removing the kinds of toxins that made it impossible to breathe in Los Angeles when I was growing up. Uh, you, you can now see the mountains as you drive through the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles, and you couldn't when I, when I was growing up. Uh, we have made great strides, and those have come... Okay, so then shouldn't we keep trying to make strides? That's, that's such a weird argument to be like, it's better, so let's just stop trying to do better things. No. Our grandkids can just no, cough not, all the time. Sorry, guys. No, I'm not saying that at all. But where those strides came from were not necessarily government jumping in and passing legislation. Those strides came largely from increased technology and from people essentially being able to, uh, when it, when it becomes profitable to actually be a good climate citizen, that's when all of a sudden you start to see change. 
Uh, let's back up a little bit again. One of the biggest concerns, one of the biggest environmental concerns around the turn of the 20th century, not, whenever I say turn of the century, I always think of 1900, but actually we should be thinking about 2000. But in 1900, one of the biggest concerns in urban areas was horse poop. You had buggies running through all of these busy cities and you had horses everywhere and they had their waste all throughout the sewers and people were thinking, what are we going to do about all of this because it's causing disease and it's disgusting and we don't have a place for it and we don't know what to do about it. And in that environment, when Henry Ford came along with the Model T, he was an environmental savior. It was, oh, great, this, we, we can now build cities around these cars and we don't have to worry about horse waste anymore. I'm trying to keep this G-rated because I can think of better words for horse waste than, mm -hmm. than the one I'm using. Well, we now look at the internal combustion engine as probably the biggest climate monster that, we, that uh, you know, we're in serious trouble because of all the pollutants that come from cars and everything else. But that solved a problem back then, and it solved it not by means of government intervention, but by means of some filthy, greedy, capitalist pig looking for a way to make a quick buck. Okay. And so Henry Ford's self-interest ended up benefiting the world. I think exactly the same thing is going to happen with the climate because uh, even Bjorn Lomborg and all climate skeptics say the best thing that we can do in order to be able to fight climate change is pursue alternative forms of energy. Yeah, I agree with that. And I 100% agree with that. Uh, at the same time, the reason why we haven't switched to solar or wind power, what percentage of our power do you think comes from solar power? Uh, five. Five. You are, you are off by a factor of almost five, 0.2%. Mm. 0.6% comes from wind power. Uh, and the reason why that is is not because everybody just loves to choke on coal smoke but because the technology does not yet exist to scale solar and wind power to the extent that we would need to in order to meet our power needs. We would have to cover essentially half of the eastern United States in solar panels to be able to produce enough energy to match the energy we would lose if we were to abandon fossil fuels. Okay. So there are so many good reasons to switch to, to alternative energy sources. Nuclear energy is the next hot thing. Well, nuclear... Thorium. Look it up. Well, nuclear bye energy... Bye-bye, uranium. Your time in the spotlight is over. Oh, do you know something about this? I don't know anything about thorium I, power. I know, I know a little bit about it, but... Okay, not. well, I want to talk about nuclear power here, here for a minute, because if you go to France, which we did, but uh, France, 70% uh, of their power is nuclear power. They don't have coal-fired power plants. They have nuclear power plants. But I'm not sure those are thorium power plants. Uh, I, I don't know. If I had asked anyone in France, I wouldn't have understood what they were saying back to me. Well, I, I had some great conversations with taxi drivers in yeah, France. Yeah, I, I know. I would get in there and I would say, Il fait chaud aujourd'hui, which means it is hot today. Mm. But I want to talk to you a little bit more about nuclear power when we get back from our break. So nuclear power. Uh, nuclear power. Nuclear power, the last big push for nuclear power was under George W. Bush when 
Dick Cheney proposed nuclear power as a way to fight carbon emissions because nuclear power plants don't emit any carbon emissions. Right. Uh, but when was the last nuclear power plant built in the United States? Uh, can I phone a friend? I don't know. <laughs> 1979. Ooh. We don't build nuclear power plants anymore, and we're shutting down the, one, sh- shutting down the ones that we have. And so we're not making a push because nuclear power plants... Uh, one of the problems with nuclear power plants, I mean, everybody always focuses on the waste and and the poisonous waste and all of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But one of the big problems with it is the water that is necessary. You need huge amounts of water to cool the plutonium. And, you know, there were people who were proposing building nuclear power plants in the state of Utah. And there's just no possible way we could do that. Utah is a dry state and we suck all of our water out of the Colorado River. And there's no way we would be able to deal with a nuclear power plant. I don't know. The technology is getting better, though. Technology is getting much, much better because one of the things that we can do now that we couldn't do in 1979 is we can reprocess spent fuel rods so that when we're using nuclear power, we can actually take some of the waste that used to just get buried and use some of that to be able to reprocess and make it more efficient so there's far less waste. So nuclear power, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. But but tell me what you know about thorium plants. Or if you don't know anything about thorium plants, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Uh, well, I don't know a ton about it. I don't. I am not a big fan of chemistry okay. at all. I it's one of my least favorite subjects. Is chemistry part of the MCAT at all? Uh, I don't want to talk about it. Okay, <laughs> for all of you, this is yeah. This is the reason I know about thorium. It was I think this is like when one of my practice tests talked about it. I don't know. One of the um, big issues with uranium, you know, is that it it decays really fast into its like radioactive nuclei, and um, it um, you have to get a lot of it for it to be worth it, and it like takes a lot of energy to mine or I don't know. But thorium's just easy. There's a ton of it in the Earth's crust and it's it doesn't de- decay as fast it's a lot more stable um so we're just finding that it's like a better alternative to uranium i don't know but i it just it just kind of furthers the point that like the technology is just getting so much better and we're just finding that nuclear energy is so much more attainable now than it used to be well that's, that's interesting to hear you say that because i'm not hearing a lot of people talking about nuclear energy right now uh, they, they're all complaining about fossil fuels. And, and when I talk about fossil fuels, see, the thing, the, the thing that I'm concerned about is uh, there are all kinds of problems with fossil fuels. Uh, but right now, we don't... Like, we, we never asked the dinosaurs for permission to just use their bodies for fuel. Well... I bet they're horrified. I, I, you know what? I bet they're, I bet they're dead. <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't know. Do we believe in the afterlife for dinosaurs? For some of them, like I think that like I don't I don't know if like a T Rex would go to a heaven, but like I don't know the ones with the long necks, those the brontosaurus, the cute guys. I don't I think they go to heaven. They're so cute. Well, Jurassic Park gives us a sense of which dinosaurs des- deserve salvation and which ones do not. Yeah, the mutant ones typically are the oh. the ones that are not gonna go okay. to the good place. Oh, that's good. Well. <laughs> I didn't realize we were going to get into dinosaur theology in this. Uh, but there are all kinds of problems with – there, um, there are always trade-offs in every policy decision you make on any subject whatsoever. And this is the thing that really frustrates me about climate change is because you have zealots on both sides who refuse to consider the fact that 
they're not operating in a vacuum. And it would be wonderful to spend all of this money to reduce climate, you know, the global temperatures, actually slow the growth of global temperatures by a fraction of a degree. But that's money that could be spent on all kinds of other things too. Economics is the study of scarcity. And that when you spend resources on one thing, you can't spend those same resources on something else. And wouldn't it be more appropriate to find something else? I don't know. But then you think about your hero, Ronald Reagan, who was like, I'm going to build Star Wars for a couple billion dollars. And it didn't do anything. So, Oh, well, that, actually, that's not true. Oh, but my gosh. We, we, uh, but, but the thing we is... need to have a podcast on Star Wars because, because that actually did a great deal. Oh, but, my gosh. <laughs> but, but I think, I think the point is that like humans are, are destructive and like – to like a certain degree, that's not our fault. Like we do need things to live, but whenever we can, I do think we need to be mindful that this world is that we don't we don't get another chance with it, and we need we do need to try and take care of it. You know, like I I, I don't know. I just I just think anything that we can try to do to help um, keep our Earth healthy is not a bad thing. Like I I would agree with you, and uh, I I would just we'd probably have a disagreement as to what those things are. But The polar bears deserve better. I think that's a good note to end on. We, uh, If you have not subscribed to Dinner Table Politics on iTunes, please, please go ahead and do that. And if you're listening to this on the radio, you can find us in the KSL Podcast Center. I am Jim Bennett. I'm Abby Bennett. This is Dinner Table Politics. We'll see you next week. Save the polar bears.